Welcome to Visma Ski Classics podcast, Livinio to Levi. Visma Ski Classics is the long-distance ski championships with 12 pro tour events and 35 pro teams, bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. This is another exciting episode of Livinio to Levi, and I'm your host, Dan Virtanen, and I have a very special guest uh, today, the CEO of Visma Ski Classics, David Nielsen. And on this episode, we are going to talk about a new initiative called Grand Classics, but that a little bit later on. We are also going to look back on the 10th anniversary season and walk down memory lane in the 10-year history of Visma Ski Classics. So welcome to our podcast, David. Thank you, Demo. Looking forward. You don't mind me calling you David. I know it's actually David, you know, in Swedish, but I always call you David. But I guess you don't mind, correct? I thought you should call me Mr. Nilsson or something. That would be Senor Nilsson. No, of course, you can call me whatever demo. We are living interesting times. Uh, it's been since mid-March uh, since we had a last ski race. Uh, in general, generally speaking, uh, or any kind of a ski season, really, uh, our ski has been training a lot, doing ex- extremely long trainings and workouts. But what have you been doing? It seems to me that you haven't been sitting, uh, sitting on your laurels, resting on your laurels that much. You've been brainstorming, correct? Yeah, I mean, for us, the, the toughest time work-wise is not during the season. It's actually after the season every year. So we have to wrap up the, the previous season. And at the same time, we need to plan and prepare for the next season with all the rule changes and, and all the things that need to be done. So... This year just happened, unfortunately, to be one month earlier than normal. But uh, we have been doing our normal, so to say, after post-season works. Uh, the difference is that all of us in W Sports Media, who's, who's running the, the Ski Classic store, we are working from our houses at homes and uh, so on. So we have this home offices like everyone else. Uh, but uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's the way we have to accept it. And they also learned more and more how to kind of get normalized using uh, this virtual meeting uh, programs and stuff. So I think it's a little bit also the a picture of the future where we will now start to use uh, what has been available for a long time, but it becomes more socially accepted to use Microsoft Teams or Skype or these apps also for, for all kind of meetings and so, which normally you wanted to do, you know, face to face. So now after the season, we've been preparing and uh, we feel like we are at the moment in a good spot we're ready for season 11 but then of course we we also re- kind of ready for for different scenarios as well you're a good point actually because we are now kind of accepting the the situation uh, i don't want to dwell on this too much but just kind of go back on the day when you kind of realized which was in the mid mid-march somewhere that hey birken will be cancelled and all the races how did you feel at that stage maybe we in the team of Visma Classics, we are quite we, we are a group of people who, who discuss a lot of everything from politics to news all around the world. So I think we realized already in January that uh, you know when we started he- hearing that that it wasn't so good in China, and we started understanding in the end January that you know we, we became discussing or hope it doesn't affect you know bigger picture. And then in February time, it felt a little bit we were on on 
over time when we got close to Vasaloppet, we were very, not scared, but we were very prepared that it would be, you know, we, we were on the edge if they would basically stop Vasaloppet in Sweden or not. And it turned out that we could deliver Vasaloppet, but then uh, the week, I think it was the week after Vasaloppet, wasn't it? Three days later or so, then, uh, then of course, the, the event side were, were stopped all around Europe. So we felt in the last weeks that we were kind of a little bit on uh, on the overtime and we were happy that we could deliver nine events out of 12. And we feel that this season, even if we became short and so, and uh, it felt like it was nine really good events that we delivered. So we kind of take that with us in preparing for, for the future. Nine events still, it's a big number when we go through the history of uh, Visma Ski Classics and Ski Classics, because it wasn't called Visma Ski Classics at the beginning, uh, we'll realize that there were only six races at the beginning. So nine is still, a, it's a huge, huge number. But you're right. I mean, after us, a lot of things really changed. But also this time of the year is very interesting uh, that so many things are happening. The teams are signing new athletes and we are already hearing a lot of cool things. Marit Björgen is coming back. I mean that that's a big news, correct? Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. It's um, and and that when we started long distance skiing, uh, the the project that became uh, Visma Ski Classics, then you know at that time it was giving for for natural reasons the national teams in the World Cup have a limited number of people they can have, and if you were not part of that, say eight women, eight men, which is sixteen athletes in in a country, then there was not nothing else kind of to focus on. There wasn't any a professional way to do cross-country skiing. And that we can see that the total number now after, I think it's 12 years since we started, the 2007 was kind of the first, 2007, 2008, but, but we feel that the total number of professional cross-country skiers is at, oh, at least double, maybe more. Uh, so basically we have employed more people that are able to, uh, skiers that are able to work in some way as a cross-country skier. And that we can see with with the combat like uh, Margaret, uh, Margaret Bjorgen that she can actually find, you know, one more level in her to to explore her talent. That actually, you know, instead of just retiring, she there is something more you can do when you feel maybe the motivation for whatever you've been doing. And if it's World Cup or some other sport, it can be the opposite. Uh, but if the motivation goes down, you can still find something new to actually to try to focus on. And and the Moritz course is uh, you know the the world leading winter Olympian in terms of uh, medals and stuff. So so to have her not retiring, being back is a great role model for for all you, uh, grown up and kids around the winter sport world. So it's uh, of course a great for the sport to, to see her on the tracks and not in a sofa somewhere watching some TV programs. And she has also inspired other skiers. Teresa, you uh, uh, is saying that she will also do some long distance races and our skiers, Lina Koskren, is now really putting a lot of focus on, on training and she has actually hired a new coach. Matthias Reck, who comes from the cycling world. And this is something that you've been kind of following. You've been taking a lot of examples from cycling world and other sports. And it really seems to me that this is, we're kind of in a breaking point right now that long, long distance skiing, Visma Ski Classic is becoming more like a, a cycling, cycling tours. 
Uh, it's a combination. I mean, uh, me personally, I am a sport nerd, I guess you could say. I, I really like different kind of sports. I started, you know, after my pilot education, then I did my uh, business degree at the Stockholm University, and I got this special, uh, special, uh, how do you say it in English, focus on uh, sport business. So I got this special program with the with a professor who kind of gave me this uh, opportunity and uh, i was kind of d studying everything from football to swimming to whatever all professional sports as part of my my um, education there in the business and then uh, working for lagadere and iec in sports which was then bought by lagadere was a great school for me it was uh, some uh, fantastic colleagues all of us you know starting the day by reading the the sport pages in the magazines knowing we were working i mean that that's a great feeling that you can actually read your 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 biggest hobby you can do it as a job um, so some when i was working at iec in sport and um, we had i think around 200 events worldwide in different sports from world championship and athletics where we handle the tv rights and the uh, productions and also in uh, you know swimming tennis golf whatever and um, you got a lot of inspiration for different sports so what you see in Vispaski classics is not only cycling it's of course uh, a lot of similarities with with tour de france and the distance races and cycling uh, but we have uh, inspiration for for many other sites especially american football that's that's my kind of favorite since you can open the uh, the curtain to to your past and how you gonna get into this, let's talk about it. What is the kind of the story of David David Nielsen? How did you uh, become involved in sports? And you mentioned you're a sort of a sports fanatic, a fan. But what is your story? Uh, I can take it short, but I I was born in northern Sweden where uh, you used to be able to ski, you know, quite regularly cross country skiing with snow. And then as a seven-year-old, I moved to Stockholm and uh, where I grew up. And uh, then uh, cross-country skiing was not so uh, possible anymore because the winters was not good enough. So I turned out to do orienteering and multi-sport and, of course, a lot of football and ice hockey and oh, basically a lot of different sports. Not in a, I, I didn't continue into a highest level. I was kind of do everything until I was like junior, 1920, and then... I did more of this multi-sports thing uh, as a hobby. And then um, uh, when I was 15, 16 or something like that, I m went one year to high school in the U.S. in Illinois, south of Chicago, in a small village called Olney, and uh, started to play. I mean, that is fantastic with the American sports uh, school systems where you have this seven-hour PE and you have the possibility to actually do sports every day in the, the program if you're interested and so on. So I pretty much signed up for, for all of the, the teams in the school. So I was in the, in the American football team and in the cross country team and at the track and field as well. And I even signed up for, for the basketball team, but I don't think I, you know, I didn't play in the basketball in Sweden. I have a little bit, I thought I was better than, than the coaches thought. So I was, I guess ten years behind the American uh, athletes there. So, um, but I was there training a little bit with the basketball team as well. So, and seeing that system, how you can work with sport in a, you know, in a, in how how the American culture is brought up with the sports business being 
accepted as a business uh, such it is and uh, all these great fan movements that you have in that way which is a little bit different from the european football culture so that was an you know side interest for me and uh, in in uh, sweden back home in stockholm and uh, I, I was a great Eurogården fan i was going to almost all ice hockey matches having my own seat there when i was a late teenager and and also to the football matches and so so Eurogården is very very close to my heart um, so i still continue to to develop my so to say uh, inspiration from sports world trying to see what what to be able to to do later on then i moved uh couple of years to I lived in Gothenburg for a while I did some military service in northern Sweden and then I did um, uh, move to as a pilot to to Norway so I lived in Bergen and Oslo flying from Flesland for one year or so or two years and then continued Stockholm moving back and finalizing my degree that became business administration with a focus on sport business then then uh, I kind of went to the IC path that I talked about before. Mm. And then finally, Visma Ski Classics. A little bit about that. I mean, we'll talk about the history and in, in more detail, but when did you and when did you realize that this could be a good thing to do, a good business to have something like a series like Visma Ski Classics? I'm a passion-driven person. I drive, uh, you know, I, I do things with a, with a, with a passion and with a, the the great stimuli for me is to create the project to build something and to feel that something is growing and and so i, I don't do it for i don't have a drive to do it from a business perspective perspective as such of course you have to do it that you have you know less cost than than revenues otherwise you have no no project so so you have to be a, understand the business side of it with you know cash flow problematics and all this and uh, but otherwise you can't do it uh, and that's something I, i think i learned personally from when i was living in norway i started a, uh, one of my favorite projects i've done i started a, a mountain marathon competition called fjord adventure mountain marathon it was held in flom between Oh, and song in the fjord between Bergen and Oslo there it's f- amazing beautiful place so did this two days mountain marathon project where we were running you know you started in in a team there's still this kind of uh, mountain marathon uh, competitions from come from the Kim mountain marathon the Caramore international mountain marathon in Scotland and then they have uh, some of them around the world the most famous one in Sweden is now in Björkliden called BAM Björkliden Arctic mountain marathon where you, you basically run with teams two persons you carry your own stuff sleeping bags and stuff like that you get the map and you have to do some checkpoints and then uh, you you gather for a night camp and then you run again for second day and and uh, in a pursuit and then the first one to the finish uh, some uh, 80k away uh, wins so we started this in in norway and um, you know amazingly this uh, you know crystal turquoise how you call it the color of the Sognefjord and water and then up on the high plateaus there but realizing that all the work we put in we understood you know if you're gonna do a project you need to have a, a, a business model in it you cannot do everything if you have it as a work you need to be able to make revenues on it you need to have 
a platform where you can actually where the interest is big enough so that you see so that you can make it professional otherwise you have to do it on a, on a different level which is not wrong but you have to accept and then it's an amateur level which have to be on a different time frame how much time you can put down on it so that was kind of the goal to when i after that went to the business school to understand how to be able to work professionally with this sport to make sure that the interest is strong enough to actually have enough revenues to to be able to to make the project uh, grow and uh, stand on its own and at that time you work for uh, for the, the licensing company and then you start packaging uh, these races together and then pretty quickly you realize that one race like Vasa Lopez is, isn't enough for the TV stations you need to have a series yeah exactly and then I was at uh, at the uh, IC sport and then we have the I was responsible for TV rights sales around the different parts of the world and i got the opportunity to to be responsible for norway which at that time had a little bit different sports culture uh, than for example sweden that it was mostly winter sports when our portfolio at ic sport were consisting mostly of southern sports we had gymnastics tennis golf you know these sports were at that time not so big in in norway which is small uh, you know focusing on football and and winter sports so we didn't have anything to basically we have nothing to sell to norwegian market and then i saw potential to to actually do something with a um, something i've had in the back of my head for for many years since being an athlete myself doing you know this orienteering in the winter time i did cross country skiing i went up to usha every weekend in january training a little bit and doing five vasaloppet and Uh, you know all that and the, seeing the similarities with you what like you said the cycling world with Tour de France seeing that there are a lot of similarities but nothing was done in that area and then when i realized i was responsible for norway i went to my boss at the time Jonas Persson a fantastic uh, person within sport business with uh, giving a lot of inspiration to all of us working around Sweden today in sport business and went to Jonas and said hey, I have this idea making of long distance skiing you know great and uh, he didn't really under uh, see the the value which I can 100% understand because it was kind of far away project but he was brave enough to say sure do it if you believe in it go for it and then uh, and then I took the ball and started building you know a scratch product basically to start to open up a possibility was that we had the Norwegian market and tried to sell it there which we did to TV2 later on at that time and that kind of fina- uh, f- uh, financed the, the start of the project but uh, but the, the key was that that I got to go ahead to put a lot of time on it even if it was kind of uncertain where it would lead and in 10 years time you build a really interesting and really great uh, product and a series I want to talk about the three things uh, before we go to the history of the whole series, the Visma Ski Classics. I want to talk about, of course, the last season. Interesting that it was the 10th anniversary. Also, the Visma Ski Classics Challengers. And then this new initiative, Grand Classics. Last season... 10th anniversary, we touched upon that a little bit, uh, nine races, it was supposed to be 12, still pretty much a full season. When you kind of look back on that now, we're at the end of May, 
How do you feel? What would you like to kind of point out from from last year? We've been working oh, 10 years, obviously, with getting a higher and higher lowest quality of what we do. That's kind of been the main focus all the time. We don't want to, you know, be trying all new techniques. We want to make sure that we have a reliable, stable product for the TV stations around the world to be able to, to do something on. So we've been working a lot with uh, with small details and uh, which you might not be able to see, how we refuel the helicopters, how we plan the airplane work with the RF technology, delivering the signals from Skidos to the finish area, how we put on the graphics, how that looks, how the database, all this behind the scene work is where we've been working a lot the last, uh, at least the last five years after building, starting to build the product. And I feel that season 10 was, if I if I put it this way, it was the best, the highest, lowest uh, quality year so far that we had kind of no failures we had uh, you know no major failures we had a good season and of course starting off there in in Livigno we 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 continue on the same format more or less with the, the pro team tempo for us that's a great event to actually show off once per season show off all the teams let them be seen let the athletes be seen let their sponsors be seen the suits but also for the tv commentators to kind of get into the season, explain what's new, what transfers have they made in the different teams, who they are. It's a it's a competition format, but it's also a build-up of the season in, in, in the same event. So I think um, that was that, that's starting to to get uh, accepted, I think, that format, which was you know brand new some years ago. But now I think we, we got to to the point where it's a, it's a good format to start off the season, we believe. And then, of course, the Sunday event there as well with the... The mass start was really exciting. It's for us. We our dream is to always to have our nature tracks that course that goes up to. You know, in that case, we have a Grasso della Agnelli, the the stone house about uh, 20k from the start up and back. But we saw that the, the snow situation was so uncertain. So we decided a couple of years ago that we do a loop, whatever snow we have. We do a loop and then everyone can feel safe for that we do plan a in the season start and we have a, a stable format that we know will, will hopefully work even if we sometimes would like to you know do the full course that we have accepted this round course and i think it has a point in the start of the season and of course la venosta was the next one also looping again I mean, we want to have races before Christmas. We want to start off the season. Everyone wants to start off the season. The TV stations, the athletes. It was a little bit uh, strange before when we had one start off prologue weekend and then one and a half months Christmas vacation. So so now we put in uh, Venosta and knowing again that we cannot rely on the natural soul situation that early. So we decided to to go with the loop setup and also the fact that the valley is quite short. but. It's a great place. It's not so far away from from Livigno, and it's also at about the same altitude where we need to be in December. It's about 1,800 meters. Of course, it was first year. There's a lot of improvements we can do for for the coming years in Venosta, but we still felt it was the feed that we got afterwards for the athletes. And our feedback we do every weekend after race was actually more positive than I expected. So, so I think people appreciate the new place, the new 
venue, but also the fact that we have a, one more race before Christmas. So It was an interesting, a really amazing season because there were so many great performances. And after La Venosta, of course, we had the Christmas break, but then we had the usual, what, we, what the skiers tend to kind of call the January madness, five races back to back. But five races in a row, we are getting used to, but we also got the feedback and also believe ourselves that it was a little bit too much because you need a relief weekend in order not to get sickness. You need it also to, to be able to train for the athletes, but you also need to keep up the focus. And uh, for us, it became five very intense weekends in a row, meaning that almost a little bit of the mental energy for the season was out when we came to Yuserska. And uh, that's not how it's supposed to be. We want to feel that we have the energy all through the season until the final. I mean, some uh, teams, I mean, the team directors I spoke to after the season, and they said that, like, when the sad fact that uh, it was cancelled after Vosalop, but it was almost like a relief as well that we felt it's been really intense. So, so it was not like, uh, I mean, there was, was nine hard see- events in the, in the season. So it was, yeah, it was a little bit too tough in January. That's our feedback. So that's why we do the changes for season 11, which you maybe come back to, but uh, that we take one less event to make three events, a break, and then Yusarska. And I think that's, that's more a feeling to get not too front-loaded calendar. They have a calendar, they have a, a, a weight in the back and in the front, and it's stable. It was a little bit too front-heavy calendar we had season 10 and also the early part of the season this particular season showed us that the the youth is rising uh, we got many surprise winners young skiers performing really well both in the men's and women's races it was something that hasn't really happened that much in the past yeah and uh, every season the first 10 years we have came after the season and said yeah but it will be difficult to have as many proteins next year when some of it's always you know putting down the services in, in uh, April, May. And, you know, number of skis, etc. But once again, in season 10, we saw a record number of proteins. We have 35. It was 32 the year before. We have a record number of female skiers, a record number of youth skiers again, and also male skiers were uh, a record. So the, in 10 years, every year, it's been taking steps in, uh, you know, to grow. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, uh, of course, and as you say, to trendsetter that, that we had young ski with Emil Persson in the first week and showing that you can be you know a youth and actually win an event is that not the first youth that ever won an event or am I missing something I think I think so yes I think you're right I mean that's for sure it's, it's a big movement and we saw it was a Swedish not innovation but it was a Swedish uh, trend where we have Max Novak Ida Dahl Jenny Larsson also coming in there and yeah, Marcus, you won some. There was a lot of, n- not new names, all of them, but it was still names that you wouldn't kind of expect seeing on the podium. And uh, and after this season, you take for granted that they should be on the podium coming here. So so they, it's a lot of skiers that they took a big step forward, a lot of the young skiers. So yeah, that's a take on from, from season 10. And additionally, I think we have to mention the Russians as well, the Russian winter team. Maybe not a surprise per se, but definitely something that we welcome with open arms. For sure. It's fantastic to see that they develop and that Ermil Vukuyev got the first victory for Russian Marathon team. That was also a great performance. And I hope Ermil is putting 100% energy now into long distance skiing because he is a potential superstar. 
And then Vasa Loper was the last one, as you mentioned, the last race of, of the season. Anything particular from this year's Vasa Lopet? I think we should mention a little bit uh, before that Yusarska, uh, uh, the race before, because two weeks before they were very uncertain. There was almost, you know, it was raining, it was green, and they were quite sure. We had all this plan B, plan C, we had all, you know, even back to the loop system that we used some years ago, there were well, three and a half kilometer loop, which is not what we want to do, but we want to have a race. So we had all different situations, but I was, I was extremely impressed by the organizers there that they managed not only because they have record number of skiers, 8,000 skiers or so, and managed to actually, you know, stay calm, evaluate the situation. And suddenly the, the snow came and when the race was held, it was perfect conditions and a fantastic nature. So, so that uh, weekend really showed the, uh, for me, it was, was really impressive to see the work they did and uh, that we delivered together and a TV product also from, from that place that was so uncertain just 10 days before. Uh, and it turned out that Yisarska became the athlete's vote for the event of the season. It, it's, for me, Yisarska is an event that for the last eight years has been growing in, in the way they work every year. They're more, more professional, more event-based. It's a really fun event. So if someone skiers at want to go abroad and try a new race, I think you can try something different. Of course, the Italian events are, Maisalonga is great, but Yisarska is, is something different where you have this bigger wooden huts and bigger culture as well. So, yeah. Yeah, no wonder it is part of the, the grand classics that we talk about very soon. Uh, but then, yeah, the Vasalopet, again, it looked really wonderful days before and somehow they what they call the kind of the Vasalopet curse happened again. Lots of snow on Sunday. Yeah, it was, uh, of course, it's four or five years in a row it's been snowing during Vasalopet, which is a little bit unlucky. I We put in a new climb there for the first time. I think that was a big uh, step. It's very big for, you know, the, the event is for 1922. They're turning soon 100 years old. So uh, it's uh, it is and should be quite conservative when you do changes. And uh, but the introduction of the first hill climb, I think, was was really a good step forward. Seeing you know get a little bit more momentum in the in the first hill and interest in what's happening. And then it was this snow situation. I think it could it should be able to be possible to make uh, better tracks anyway. I think it was a little bit too too poor in this snowfall. It's not easy, and I know Vosrob has. It was amazing to the work. Also, they did the last weeks before when I was on the way to, to cancelling. But, but anyway, the the last twenty k was fantastic. The tracks and then it could be uh, settled in a, in a good way. And and once again, Lina Koshkin, uh, for me, she's the maybe the exclamation mark from from this season. The two races in Kaiser and and in Vasalopet was uh, of a different standard that we see before for Lina. That was really really amazing. And also quite amazing uh, Peter Eliasen because he won the race by sprinting, which isn't really his trademark or forte. No, it's not. Might not be his forte, but for me, I was not so surprised. He, I remember when he sprinted down Johan Schelsta in uh, in Kaiser Maximilianlauf. I think it was the first year we held it, and Johan is of course a, a fantastic sprinter. So, so I've seen it before, and I was um, not surprised. Uh, He's a tough skier, strong, tough skier. And when you have done 90K, all are tired. It, the muscles work in a different way than if you do a sprint early in the race. So, so and in all respects, Dian Holgord, I mean, being second in that condition, that all the work he put in, it's, um, 
it's a great achievement as well. So, yeah. So the whole season uh, was really, really great, interesting. Lots of things happened, but also the Visma Ski Classics Challengers. That was an initiative that started uh, a year ago. And it has grown into a 27 races. Of course, uh, only 17 of them uh, were able to take place. But your word on, on on that particular series and why did you feel that something like that is needed? We started the fire of three, four years ago, um, feeling that uh, our first vision when we started this Muskie Classics as a project 2007-2008 was to create a stable World Championship series within long distance skiing, and uh, we felt uh, 2000 maybe 15, something like 14, 15 that we were close to getting there where we were, um, you know, on the levels we wanted to be uh, at that time for uh, the Pro Tour, what we call it now. So we started skissing on well, okay, where we'll go in the next phase. Where, where's the development going? Because if you're not having development, you're per se on the way to extinction. So we started looking where, where to develop next, and we saw the development was uh, basically to to dare to put more energy to uh, make, a, uh, if you call it a brand, but that, that our concept, Ismaski Classics, could be open not only for the pro athletes, but also for recreation skiers, and also being able to, to be an, a global brand. We started the, the pro tour when we started Ski Classics then, 2008. We wanted, the, our ambition was to be an international pro tour that we would have uh, events from from all um, continents but we test when we tested the chinese vasalopet to go in china we we felt it was a little bit too much it was at the time we had a record of 13 events in the series we had uh, you know the time zone difference meaning that the start was i think four o'clock in the morning on a wednesday it just wasn't really doing so much good for for the concept and uh, the fact that all the traveling was Scare or scaring some of the athletes to go, so it was not so so many on the start line. So we felt that, that we were pushing the limit too far there. So we went back and did our homework and said that the Pro Tour is now going to be from southern to northern Europe, a winter tour uh, across Europe, where we're following the sun. So we start south and we go north. At the same time, we understood that that, that means that we are excluding a lot of the events worldwide and. And, and that's not what we want to do. We want to be for everyone. You know, that's what's unique with Ski Classics and our long distance races that we have amateurs or recreation skiers and professionals in the same start line, men and women, same start line, same distances. We're very proud of that. And to be inclusive rather than exclusive. So, so that's where we come in. Okay, we have to, when we, when we kind of limit the pro tour and who can be part of it and where it can be, we need to find a, a way to include the rest of the world. So the challenges was a natural way in that work where we said that we're going to continue building the pyramid of ski classics and not only having uh, a pro tour, but uh, widening the base, make sure everyone can be part from smaller races, but also to, to younger skiers where it might not be on the pro tour level. So, uh, so that's where challenge came in, that we should have a broad base open more or less for all events worldwide to be part. In, it doesn't cost anything for the events to be part. We, you know, there's no fee for to ski classics in any way. We, we, for us, it's a it's a cost. It's an investment in in the project and to give back to to the cross country skiing world and long distance skiing world, which for us is important. That feel that we can use the TV interest and fan interest we get from the pro tour. We can actually uh, try to help also the smaller races to get a little bit of that. 
so that's where it came in. And um, and the first season of the challenge, of course, we knew before it's the first season, and it's a lot of interesting things we are able to do. But we still, uh, you know, a limited number of people working with ski classics, so we have to also to to not uh, take too much. Uh, take water over our heads, we say in Sweden. I don't know if it's an English saying, but, but we have to also limit the, the work we can put in the beginning and see where it develops. So the first, of course, sad is some cancelled, but I think great that we started off the challengers and seeing very positive feedback from the events being part, that they feel they get more nationalities being part. And even in the you know summer events there, in the, we had roller skiing events that felt... It was a, a step forward for them, and that's what we want to do with Challenge, to, to help the events. That's the goal, and, and create a broader interest for the sport. And I think it's worth mentioning that if you're a pro team athlete and you participate in a Visma Ski Classics Challenger race and you win, you can get 50 points. So this is the way to attract uh, pro team athletes to participate as well. Yeah, exactly, because we wanted uh, uh, the, the request skis being part to... Because you can get the ranking also in your every all skiers now in the uh, it's called the my pages now on our homepage where it's free of charge for all recreation skiers, professional skiers. Everyone has their possibility to sign up their own account there, and then your results and ranking comes in, so you can collect ranking from the challengers. But as you say, and then the a part of giving back to the sport is to kind of push down our pro team athletes to also do the smaller races. Because in sport, you look up to your local heroes. If you have uh, someone in northern Italy like Bruno de Bertolis from, you know, in that area, he he's a, a big name and inspiration for the local ski kids in, in Italy. And then it's important that now we stop skiing uh, pro athletes, but that's a ski like him can can come back and do the smaller races and and promote interest for the sport. So that's why we put in this rule where where you can calculate one we start like that that one of the challenges in your yellow bib race where you can get even 50 points uh, maximum but you knowing that from from the last years it's very tight in the top of the of the bib so if you haven't done it you might lose your yellow bib in the end of season with those points if you don't get good points from the, from a challenge event too so hopefully pushing the, the protein to do two or three challenges per year, and then we can make the interest grow for the sport. That That's our philosophy behind the challenges project. And that is certainly a great addition to the, the brand, but now you have a new initiative. You're constantly brainstorming, creating something new, and this is something we really need to talk about. Grand Classics, we talked about Vasalop a little bit, Jiseska, Padesatka, Birkebeiner Rennet, one of them as well, Marcelonga. Those four big races are now called Grand Classics, sort of based on the tennis, golf, where we have Grand Slam. A little bit about this, and, and why do you feel that it's necessary to have something like this in the world of sport, uh, ski, long-distance skiing? First of all, as I said before, it's my... Chairman of the board, Lars Friberg in uh, W Sports Media, who, who pushed that on me. I, he, he's a tough chairman, but he constantly says that if you're not developing, you're by automatically on, so to say, the road to extinction. So we need to continue to develop. That that's the most important thing. Whatever you do, that um, try to figure out ways to to with the kaizen as the japanese would have said with small changes uh, improving your product so that's what we're working constantly and when we did the challengers but that was broadening in the base at the same uh, 
vision a couple of years ago, we put in that we need to have an even brighter top of the pyramid. And that's where the grand classics come in, that we should have a, a crown jewel of the tour making the pyramid come uh, complete. The four events part in the Grand Classics, they are the cornerstones. They've been for all the seasons. They are hopefully for all seasons to come as well, part of the project. If you ask the skiers, I think most of them would say that these four events are the most prestigious and the most traditional. And then maybe they, they feel it's, they would, if they could choose which one to win, maybe they, this is the four they would like to, to win. And honoring that, so to say, that it is... Uh, you know, to win Birke, Marcelonga, Yusarska, Vasalop, it, it is uh, definitely the right to value it a little bit higher than to maybe do a completely new race, like like Lavinosta, a great race, but still the prestige to win Vasalop, Birke, Marcelonga, Yusarska is higher. And then the point system should reflect that. So what we're doing with the Grand Classic is to, first of all, racing the the sports-wise points that you actually get 300 points if you win in the yellow bib competition instead of 200. It reflects the ranking points you get, where you get 2 million if you win, you get 3 million. Uh, but it also uh, higher demands on those events because these are the, the biggest events that they need also to, to show you know, higher prize money. So they, we connect, like in tennis, the prize money with the points. If you have a 200-point event, you need to have minimum 20,000 euro in total price money. If you have a 300 point event, a Grand Classics, you need to have a minimum 30,000 euro in price money. So we kind of connect that. And what we also see in this development process is to give the athletes something um, new sports wise, some, some new uh, dimensions all the time, you know. Britta Johansson-Ogren, she won 21 of the Pro Tour events. She won all the... She didn't win Birken and, and the last events, but she uh, she won pretty much all of them. She won five years in a row, isn't it? The Yellow Bib. It's totally amazing that the, what she's done. How can we also give her one more sport dimension and making sure she has the motivation to hopefully ski for, for many more years to come, you know, hopefully beating the age of Anders Auckland when, whenever he quits. That's what we want. We want our stars to, to continue as, as long as possible and give, and then it's our job to give them motivation and try to find platform for them to find motivation. Uh, so that's where we come in where, with the Grand Slam. So if you mentioned the uh, tennis, but from us, it's also in rugby, it's also in golf, we have the masters. So there's in many sports that you have this, you know, four majors uh, events or monuments, they call it in cycling, uh, where uh, lifting up, putting a little bit extra focus. To be able to win of this, I, I guess it's in tennis, so I remember Rob Laver did it was many years ago, and then I think one of the Williams sisters did it uh, not quite recently, to actually do a Grand Slam. It's something not impossible, but maybe almost impossible actually to, to achieve in many sports. And that's what we could do with, with the Grand Slam also for us, with the Grand Classics events. And as you know, now with the press list being out, it's no one ever who have managed or completed a Grand Slam. And uh, that's a little bit amazing because it's still four events. You, you see, when you, when you look on the papers, should be possible. But in, in real life, no one has done it. And that's kind of been, when we start looking at concept, we hadn't, we, we didn't start looking at the stats. But when we got deeper into the stats and understood that actually no one has ever done it, it became even more interesting. There's four skiers that have won all the four races. 
in uh, the Grand uh, Classics. But not to make a Grand Slam, you have to do it in the same season. Otherwise, it's uh, kind of a, how should you say it, a, a non-accepted Grand Slam or something like that. But then Petr's done it, uh, Anders Auckland's done it, Jenny Grip has done it, and Cristina Paluselli from Italy has also done all the four events in different seasons, but no one has done it in one season. The one who's been closest actually is Sven Åke Lundbeck, 1981, uh, maybe an underrated uh, Swedish cross-country skier in uh, even he has some great performances in the Olympics and World Championship he was you know one of maybe I think one the one who has the highest uh, VO2 uh, max capacity registered in Sweden and I don't know if it still holds he held for, for many years uh, but 1981 he did some long distance skiing and he happened to win the three events in the Grand Classic series that he did he didn't participate in Yuserska and of course that time was a different world with the Warsaw Pact and you know Eastern Europe, Western Europe division. So it was not so many people going in over the border to to Czech Republic, unfortunately. So so he could maybe have uh, you know if he did knew if he knew then that we were going to launch this project, maybe he should have applied for a visa to Czech Republic or and at that time uh, Czechoslovakia and uh, tried to win it too, but he didn't. Certainly, that's that's a long pain in the past in history. But speaking of history, next we will talk about uh, Visma Ski Classics, Ski Classics history, all the 10 years, one by one. 10 years of Visma Ski Classics. Of course, it was called uh, not Visma Ski Classics at the beginning, but the first year, going all the way back there. It must be kind of funny when you uh, recall those those days back then. Yeah, definitely. It was we were, you know, not so experienced in the organizational part of Ski Classic at the time. So we were, you know, still learning a lot how to do TV productions, how to, you know, develop the sport. We uh, we had a lot of work in the first years to to create commonality that it that the, for the pro team athletes they looked the same when they came to one event and then going to the next that they felt. You know that there was a red thread, so we worked a lot with that because from the beginning there were the, all the events were you know individual events. It was not a, a, a series, so we had to kind of create this commonality uh, setup, and that that took a lot of effort the first three four years. I uh, uh, when we also took in uh, Thomas Granen as a race director. I think that was second year actually, the second season we we brought in Thomas to develop the sports. So we come back to that, but first season what I remember most is. Is this? We had this idea to have this final because that's what you have in tennis. So we created this uh, Nurefjellsrennet uh, together with the Norwegian partners there, and uh, we had done it actually as a pre- test event the year before. And um, and then when uh, first season we came there, we uh, we were doing some changes because we thought the track was a little bit too we going on too high altitude if it was bad weather. So we went down and made, made some changes and. It started off that the day before we had, got, we had actually thought it was about 55k or so the race. We're quite sure, but we, for us the, the exact distance is not so important. We always said plus and minus because it's more you know first over the last line anyway. So and then Jerry Arlene, I remember came came back after training the day before the race and said, David, this is not 55k because you were supposed to do two loops and he did one loop and he said I was out. I know my pace when I train. I was doing one loop and it took me three hours. This is not 55K. And then 
I kind of went back to the organizers and the LOC, and they, I, you know, if Jerry says that, it's, it's probably the way it is. So, and it turned out that it was almost 20k too long. It was, <laughs> I think, it was 75, 76k, and, and extremely tough kilometers. I don't know how many percent that during the race that actually quit uh, after one loop. And these are professional skiers; they were just too tired. And then we had the the season gala afterwards, right at outdoors there in in Nurifjell, and we were handing out the prizes, the yellow bib, um, and so on. And uh, I remember that Susanne Nyström was was Serena Bonner won that, but Jenny Nyström was Susanne Nyström was also um, on the podium, and she skied the race and. We were starting, but no one found her in the team, and our team didn't find her anywhere. And you know, we need to start the flower ceremony. And in the end, we had to do it without her because we didn't know she was gone. And then after that, uh, flower was all out uh, on TV, and we, we quit that. We found her on a bench, sleeping with a bib and with the boots, everything on. And uh, that says a little bit how extremely tough that race was. So um, she missed actually the. The flower ceremony that was a, a memory for my side it was a, something to laugh about afterwards and uh, i that was she completed the race which was very many who didn't do so uh, very very strong achievement so that was the first year and just mentioned the second one when uh Granlund, thomas Granlund stepped in uh, as a race director but you also had new events started to ski marathon and volodalen that year seven races the first year had six races yeah we wanted to uh Uh, slowly uh, develop the tour and finding the limit. Uh, we uh, Tarta we had a couple of years earlier that we broadcasted on TV, so we wanted them back. It's still one of the races. They have, have a lot of struggling with snow, but it's one of the one of my favorite races in the the long distance world. It's Tarta Ski Marathon. It's a fantastic course over ish 60k that goes up and down and uh, like a roller coaster feeling if you go fast, which maybe I don't. But it's a really nice course and, and place to, to go along the skiing. So so we want we always want Tarto to be part. But as you say, we also applied uh, or signed up Thomas Grana because we had some incident the year before in Kanesudulav with some unsportsmanlike conduct that we say in some other sports. So uh, I actually went, uh, you know, to FIS and said, uh, if, you know, this is my idea that we have cooperation where you put in your FIS logo in, in the Wismaxi Classics and then you uh, apply a race director, you govern the sport. And at the time, unfortunately, the Vegard uh, Ulvang and MFIS didn't have the resources to be able to do it. So we have, But we had no choice than, than to find someone uh, governing the sport and making sure we have a professional level over the season and it's on the same level and, and, and so on. So then we... Very happy that we found Thomas Granlund and he came in. He's uh, the most experienced Swedish TD. He's been at the world highest level in the in the World Cup as well in the short distance races. And for him to, to take the next step and being a race director for for long distance was was very important for us. So he worked very hard to to find a way how to structure up team captains meeting and bibs. Uh, you know how it's calculated in the you know it's details part of the rules, which is very very important. And um, yeah, so that, that was the biggest development of season two that we got Thomas to to come in and be able to to start building up the sports side of of uh, ski classics. And, and Volodalen, sorry, Volodalen, you mentioned it was actually not planned that year because it was supposed to be the final in Nurefjell, but they had uh, green six days before, and we didn't want to quit. So 
I called uh, Volodalen and I know Latte Östlander, uh, as I see it, the best snowmaker we can call it or in, in Sweden. Uh, and I asked him, Latte, is it possible in one week time to, to make a race? Because that, that's kind of what the possibility we saw then, because it was not so far away from Norrfjell in, in geographically. And it was quite green there too, but he, he called me back in one hour and said, yes, David, it's possible. We can do it. And then I trust Latti and we moved, uh, when all the, the details were fixed with TV productions and all these uh, requirements, we, we moved uh, the final. We, it was one week uh, time to Volodalen and created what then became year after Orifiesloppet. But uh, that year in Volodalen was, was also a tough race, really tough race. I mean, exactly. I was going to say that the third season, uh, Volodalen became Orapels Lopet and no more Tartu. Anything else from that particular year, the third season? Uh, it was, uh, as you say, the, the Orapels Lopet, I think, that stands out, that we had uh, created our own final, basically, in, in an amazing landscape, that we started a, a landscape product in the in a alpine ski destination like Ore because we wanted the final Nurifel is still also an alpine so we wanted the final place to be a little bit more like a uh, how should I say a party place is the wrong word but I think you understand what I mean that it should be uh, more of uh, where to celebrate the season end basically so so Ore was was a great place to be as well so that will be taken that we actually created a A gala afterwards for a lot of people as well, even the creation skills part there. And for the first time we had this huge, huge, but had this real, our own final gala with everyone dressed up in smoking and, you know, where we can in a proper way hand out and all the prizes. And then for the fourth season, uh, a new race, La Diagonela, joined. Uh, still six races, just like in, uh, in the third uh, season. But that was an interesting because Switzerland came part of, part of the, the tour. Yeah, it was unfortunately a snow situation situ- uh, again where uh, Yusarska was not able. At that time, Yusarska was organized in the beginning of January. Now they moved one month where there's more safe on snow, but they were not able to. It was completely green, basically. So I got some interest from from Switzerland and, and this Engadin Valley from Ramon Ratti and his, his team. Uh, I think a couple of weeks before, by coincidence, they were, you know, asking how, how could it be possible to create a race in some years' time in Switzerland? We want to be part of of uh, the Dan Swixki Classics, where Swix were our title partner. And I explained a little bit what the requirements are and so on. And then uh, it all became a little bit faster than he expected, and uh, of course we are from our side as well. So I, during the Christmas break there we had the time, I. I understood that Giserska was not going to happen. So I called Ramon and said, hey, can you organize, a, is it possible for you to, to actually organize a race in uh, in 10 days, maybe two weeks? And he was a little bit shocked uh, because he was planning in two years. And then uh, he said, David, can you give me two hours? And I said, of course. So he called back two hours and said, yeah, we can do it. And uh, when uh, when they do it in, in Switzerland, they, they, they do it. So they organized a, a great event the first year. I remember that course too, because it looked quite flat on the map, but I think the skiers who were part of it understood that it was definitely nothing but, but it was not close to being a flat race. It was maybe one of the toughest courses we ever delivered, where Sreina Bona, I think, won on the women's side, and it was, it was a really tough first year. And I think it was uh, Tunnel, Rika Tunnel, who won the men's race, quite a surprise winner at that time. Yeah, and uh, well. a lot of talk when he actually was brave enough to to go for for a breakout with a great uh, 
work together with brother Daniel, where they, he, Daniel helped to a little bit slow down the pace of the main group where, where Rick had put in the full speed. And then the big group actually underestimated the, the endurance that Rick had had. And uh, they started picking up too late. So he won. And uh, he was not, he didn't have many meters or centimeters when it was finished, but uh, he, he managed to hold on. And that was a fantastic achievement. And that was his only only victory, actually, and and he's retired now. Then fifth season, then nine races from six to nine, and also the pro team tempo and the the Livigno Scambera. Those races took place. Yeah, we want, we wanted to have races before Christmas. That was the development that we see that you know the skiers are ready in short distance racing. You start uh, in November normally with the with the national uh, start of events and we actually had our first in the 10 of january something around that time when we had jesarska and it was really late start so we were searching and finding how can we do it in um, earlier but of course long distance racing means that you need long distance with snow which is you know of natural reason not so easy in the beginning of the season so we had to to search for different possibilities. And then we, we found out the possibilities to, to do it in Livigno with, uh, at that time, Scambeda. Uh, well, actually, the name was Las Scambeda then. They changed to Scambeda later on. But they were, because the, ski, uh, the skiers and the teams, mo- many of them were, were there for many years just training. So and they did the race. So then uh, we tried to find a way to, to actually do it. And together with Luca Moretti, the the tours director of uh, Livigno is a fantastic, but they've done a fantastic job to to re- remake Livigno in a new modern resort. Uh, he uh, helped a lot and give the LOC the right possibilities to to build the event there, which now it's feeling like one of the cornerstones as well. If we have five cornerstones, maybe Livigno is the fifth. And then the sixth season uh, came about with 10 races. And this is the year when I stepped into the, the, in the circuit as well. And König Ludwiglauf, unfortunately, uh, got cancelled. A big race that had been part of the Visma uh, Ski Classics ever since the beginning. That was the first year when he got cancelled. And of course, Kaiser Maximilian Lauf stepped in. And Topla Cortina, also a new race. Yeah, as I said earlier, in the beginning, we were searching for new races because we wanted to to feel where the limit is, uh, how many races should be part. And we were up to 10 races that year. And um, uh, yeah, once again, it was due to snow situations, uh, cancellation of an event. And But then we felt, you know, with the two previously that I talked about that yeah, this uh, we get a little bit confident that, that we can manage those kind of situations. So... One week before uh, when Kernish uh, understood it was not going to be possible to hold the event, we had the Seafelt in mind because it's very close. It's ish half an hour drive between the, the two venues. And uh, Seafelt is, uh, for many of us uh, working with long cross-country skiing, it's one of the you know old jewels in the Alps to go training and living doing cross-country. So it was very natural to... To see possibilities to build up. So I had worked with them for some years before trying to find a platform to create an event. And then this opportunity came where we actually, uh, you know, we were close with the TV production facilities. We were close with the athletes. And so we moved it. And we opened up also for some of the uh, recreation skiers that were not able to do Kernish. They could actually come and, and ski Kaiser the first year. So they didn't have, you know, 
to go down to the Alps with all of the paid flight tickets and uh, not doing a race. So we, which very short notice, we were able to deliver Kaisermax Million Love that year. And what I remember, it was a tough race because it was a 20k loop three times, and lots of skiers were tired, and the pro team athletes were kind of like, okay, we're expecting to get an easy race, Koenig Ludwiglauf, and suddenly we got the the most difficult one or the most challenging one. Yeah, I remember I called uh, Jorgen Auckland and some other. Uh, I, my philosophy is try to have, uh, you know, the the pro tour is for the pro team athletes. We're trying to to help. You know, listen as much as possible to the team directors and the athletes, what they feel, the feedback, and what to develop, and so on. That's my philosophy. So uh, we, I remember I talked to called Jürgen and said we, we because everyone understood that it's going to be cancelled in Kjernish, said we have a plan B. We're we're going to move it to Seefeld, and we had this possibility to do this course. We can do two laps. Was the plan to do? Uh, I believe it should have been then about 40k or something. And Jürgen said, "No, we cannot. You know, we need a longer, tougher, harder. So uh, why don't we do three three loops?" And I said, "Well, it's going to be really tough, but uh, you know, it's like a three times on a World Cup circuit, uh, you know, uh, tougher than that. So, uh, which is normally up and down all the time. So, uh, I, yeah, but there was a request from, and I spoke to some other athletes as well. But I remember that Jürgen was standing out there and saying, "No, why don't we do more?" And uh, I said, okay, let's do more. So, uh, so me and Thomas Granlund, we find found a way to to do that, which meant that the the pro team athletes had actually a longer course than the the recreation skiers that did uh, a shorter race, but at least they could do a race. So, uh, it's been uh, these changes lately. Turned out that they've been the tough ones, I would say, with Nurifjell, with with uh, uh, you know the first time in Wallerdalen, and also this one and La Diagonella. They they were really really tough races. But that's the beauty of Visma Ski Classics that we have so many different courses. I mean, some are and should be easier. A lot of double polling, Vasalopet, for example, and some are really tough, like Reistelöpen, which we'll talk about soon. But that's that's what the athletes want. I mean, they train long distance. They train two hours plus, where you know the fat burning turns in, where you go from being a benzene to a diesel engine or whatever you would say like. Uh, but of course, that that's what they want to have. They want to have more than two hours races. That would make their uh, quality as an at, uh, athlete specific. Would make them different from the short course cross country skiers. That so that's when it turns up when it comes to these three four hours races like Basel Open. That's what they actually train for. So, but sometimes we we try to do it, uh, you know, as long as possible. But we also have natural conditions and other things surrounding that. Um, you know, affecting the decisions we can make. But uh, but of course, we want to so make our athletes able to compete in what, what they, you know, the format that they are made for. That's the goal from our side. Since you are bringing that up and the kind of the toughness of the sport, and before we moving on to the seventh season, which was interesting because that was the season with 13 races, I'd like to ask you about the kind of the distance. A lot of athletes, you mentioned Jürgen Auckland, for example, he's the one who's sort of an advocate for really, really long distances. Uh, have you ever thought about like extremely long, meaning over 100 or something, 150, maybe even 200 or so, like uh, Nudenschus Lopet? Could that be part of Visma Ski Classics one day? We have a lot of thoughts that we, you know, pass through, and of course, uh, Nuru Nuru with the, is is one of them. But it's a lot of it's not only making having a race. It's a lot of uh, things that need to be in place: TV production, financing, 
you know, all this uh, practical stuff as well. With unfortunately, so far, Norden Sjönsloppet has not been there. It could, uh, I mean, the, the, the time on the, the length, that could be handled, but, but it's more that, you know, you need to be on the level of a pro tour in terms of uh, financing the event. But we also thought about the even tougher things, you know, doing six events in a row in one week, finding off the season with maybe a thousand K or something. There, there's a lot of different uh, post-it laps in our office where we have a lot of ideas that uh, sooner or later might become reality, but we have to priority and do it step by step. But definitely we could do longer, but on the other hand, we have a good pro tour format for the TV stations, which is kind of stable, that we are a breakfast product. We go start around eight o'clock and we finish around or before 12 o'clock noon-ish, which makes a, a spot in the the scheduling side for TV station, which is not so occupied by other sports, like, you know, football starts normally after lunch and, and all this, uh, you know, the big sports around the world. So, so for us being uh, around these two, three, four hours races is quite good in terms of scheduling for TV sports stations too. So it's a lot of things, different aspects you need to consider when you launch a calendar. Speaking of which, the seventh season then came with 13 races and one even in China. And Ulles Levy became the uh, kind of the final, uh, kind of the final race, uh, Finland for the first time, and also the Reisterlöpe that I mentioned, a new really tough race in Norway. Lots of things happened uh, in that year. Yeah, that was a tough race or a tough uh, tough season, I would say. There was uh, 13 races. Um... That was uh, definitely feedback after that was too much. We had some dropouts, some sickness of the athletes. Uh, we, we felt that in this is not sprint with a long, long distance, which means it's very hard for the body basically to recover after each event. So we built it every, every year until then we had had more and more races. But then we felt this was too much also going to China and, and all that. Uh, but, that, you know, sometimes you need to explore the borders in order to know where it is. And there we found it. So... Uh, And Finland was thanks to our uh, partner, a great partner, Visma, as a title partner for, for the last few years. We managed to to set up a new event in Finland. Finland is, of course, one of the black spots at the time in our calendar because it's a great traditional cross-country ski market and country where we, we do a lot of traditions that would definitely suit uh, um, our product and ski classics, ski years, recreational interest. But we didn't have a race. so. Uh, so we ended up setting it up ourselves in uh, northern Finland there, and uh, I think that's it's a hidden pearl. Uh, I talked about Jeserska before, but also Ulleslevi is definitely you know when it's almost midnight sun times up there, it feels like it's midnight sun because it's light more or less the whole night, and you got to do skiing when it is maybe the the best time of the year. So, and the, the course there from from Ulles, the one alpine resort to another, it's really variable with different uphills and flat parts and downhills and it has everything so and there's also a nice spot to end the season with the restaurants and stuff in in levy afterwards so it's definitely one of my personal favorites in the tour and also a week before Ulles levy reistelöpe materialized an other interesting race and really tough course 
when we move somewhere, you know, when, when you make a calendar, it's not only finding, you know, choose some races and put in them, you know, you have to think about logistics, you have to think about how the pro team travels around, vaccine trucks, how we do with the airplane, our helicopter, it's a lot of things that we have to move around to be able to deliver this kind of tour. So uh, the logistics is an important part. And uh, we got a great invitation uh, to visit the year before, uh, Teresa Lopet, when I was uh, also doing some uh, recognition of Ilislavi and uh, understood that uh, this is an existing traditional race, been for many years with an uh, unmatched LOC in terms of quality. It was an easy decision when we decided to go north. You know, what we talked about before, we had some cancellations these seasons before due to lack of snow. And so we were strategically moving north and later, basically. And now we happen to be north of the polar Arctic Circle two times here with these two events, which is kind of, you know, more safe snow situations and also having sun and snow late in the season. So then uh, when we go up there, we we rather have two events than one because it's quite a long trip. So the skiers can stay and, and be in the area, train for the for the final. Remember then in, in the mid-April, almost some years, there's the skiing season in, in Southern Europe. Italy is gone. So so for the pro teams, they need to, they can't go home and train because there's no snow anymore. So they have to, to kind of stay there where the, where the snow is. So that's why we, we rather have two events in the same area also. And uh, and the race that Leopard came in was a fantastic new different race. We're, we're, there's a lot of talk at the time where, you know, about the double pooling and people were, you know, this talk, which is luckily behind us, but there was talks about that was destroying the sport and all of this. For me, double polling is one of the ex- normal gears when you do classical skiing. And of course you should go as fast as possible. And if you can go double polling, if you're strong enough, you should use that gear. Otherwise you go down to another one. We don't want to limit or try to force people to do in a certain, certain technique. It's a little bit up to, to the skiers to choose what's the fastest way to go from A to B. But on the same time, we, it was, really refreshing to have race the being part where actually the the uphill to orta this now uh, classical uphill was so uh, it's it's so tough that um, you know we got back to see the diagonal striding again and that's of course it's great to see also that technique being used and the the talk you know we, you know should you go with or without grip that's that's a big part of the long distance world where it's been that kind of this with or without grip and then there we got actually you know where the grip won again so so that that was a really refreshing place and i think everyone got a great experience we came up there and it was snowstorming i think they had three meters of snow i, I never many years since i saw so 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 much snow in one place that they had that year with the the telephone had an old telephone boat you remember this old English telephone boat. They had, a, I don't know why, they had one of those outside the major house in in the Satamoon, and it was under snow. And uh, I was, we didn't definitely didn't have any lack of snow up in Restalep at the first year. Yeah, those two races, Ulas Levy and Restalep, are certainly very great additions. And I, I was, uh, as you remember, the race director of uh, Ulas Levy, and there's so many stories we could, you know, share with the audience. We don't have time for that, but many things happened the first year, but we were able to pull out a really nice, nice race, and it has continued uh, ever since, and it is a great, great race. But then the eighth 
season, um, kind of back to the, the basics. Uh, nothing major really uh, took place that year. No more China, of course. Uh, 11 races from 13 to 11, sort of a solid uh, season, solid uh, race, uh, race calendar. Yeah, I guess when that's where we felt kind of that the, what we now call the Prude Tour had more or less became mature. We have found that the, the format we believed, believed in. So from South to North of Europe, that's where we, where, where we plan to be the coming years and showing up the winter Europe from its best, but also seeing different landscapes. That's important for us being across the longitude. Yeah, the 11 races, uh, good, good seasons in general. Uh, a lot of memories, as you say, but, but in general, I would say a good, stable uh, year. The next one, really interesting, since we had the first skating race, Engadin Ski Marathon became, you know, an addition to Visma Ski Classics. Kind of a thing that a lot of skiers liked, welcomed, others didn't. Yeah, and the, actually the year before, we talked about development at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, the year before we introduced... Uh, uh, we didn't introduce new events, but we introduced the new bibs. So we had the climbing bibs and uh, also this um, Nordic and Alp trophies, which is kind of to divide the first part and the second part of the season. If you have a bad start, you you still can go home with a trophy. I remember Petr Liasen had it, uh, I think it was that year, that he had a sickness in the beginning, I think, of the season. And then at least he could go home with the Alp trophy or the Nordic trophy was the ending part of the season where he more or less won everything. So... Yeah, that was, that was the year before. And then we came uh, after that. And of course, uh, ski classics might seem, some people thought classic means classic technique. It's never meant that. Classic means that it's been around for a long time. It's a classic event and a classic tour. So for us, it's always been, uh, you know, we've never been non-interested in having a skating race part of the tour. It just haven't been those races that we've been looking at has uh, for I would say market economy reasons that those who have been uh, in um, with more recreation skiers, uh, et cetera, and have been able to finance TV productions and all this side have happened to be in classic technique. So we had uh, many discussions, you know, how can we, uh, you know, try to find also the free technique. Of course, we, there is, uh, especially in France and Switzerland, there is many, a big group of recreation skiers that do free technique and uh, then we could embrace uh, a new part of the skiing world with having a, a free technique race uh, then engadin ski marathon finally had uh, uh, resources and possibilities with uh, swiss tv to be able to to match our standards of uh, tv uh, production and uh, we have said we, we should be clear with our project and we felt at the time that our core brand Bismarcky Classics and what it stands for is is so is strong enough to be able also to go outside the brand a little bit to test and that we always need to do we need to be brave but wise so if we feel the braveness didn't go in the right way we need to be wise and make the right decisions after so with Engadin being part of course it was a test for us uh, not only that it was free technique but it's also uh, located always in the keller between Vosloppet and Birken, which is quite, quite tough when you have 90k and then a, a weekend normally where you can recoup until doing another tough race. Um, so it's not so, uh, it's not the most, you know, when I talked about logistics before, when to go, you know, starting going north towards the Arctic Circle, then suddenly turn around after Vosloppet and go down to the Alps again, is not uh, so natural. Uh, and then, uh, 
the third fact is that it's uh, more or less downhill and uh, we talk two hours uh, racing time we you know it's 42k we want to have 50k or more that's how to get about two hours and it's with the downhill 42k it's uh, you know one hour 20 one hour 30 winning times which is also quite far away from what the long distance skiers train so putting all this together afterwards and also listening to the athletes, of course, there were, there were pros and cons, many pros. It was maybe the toughest decision I've done since since we started the Distance Classics to recommend for the board the calendar year after, but because we had the option to prolong one more year with Engadin. But when putting together the pros and cons, we felt it was a little bit too far from our brand, basically. And uh, I'm not saying it was the right decision. It's hard, but uh, we felt at that time that it's... It was the best uh, decision we can make when putting together different aspects. So, uh, yeah, uh, we had it. We saw that it was great. And that was the reason we had it in uh, also was to see new nationalities like Paris and uh, uh, Gaillard, I think, from, from France. And we had uh, Colonia, of course, winning the race and, and also Swiss victory on the female side. That, that was great to have uh, new uh, names, new athletes coming in. On the other hand, our specialists in long distance, double pulling, upper body, uh, they were competing in something that didn't actually train so much. And to have to to make them compete in something that di- they didn't train, that was also uh, a bit far off, I think, for to to continue and seeing the pros with the new market, with the new uh, you know embracing new people, uh, new athletes. Uh, but on the other side, the short distance and all this, when we put this plus and minus together, we, we decided to to go back and, and uh, with the calendar without Engad in the last the year after. But it's good to point out that our athletes still did pretty well. Uh, Peter Eliasen and, and, uh, was pretty high up there and the female side, Asir Ereslind and, and Berta Jonsson Nogren did really well in a short skating skating distance as well. But are you still keeping an open mind? Uh, in terms of having skating, maybe in the calendar in the in, in the future. Yeah, in the short term period, we don't see it coming in the pro tour, but that's also reason for the challenges to be part. That we want all events to be able to part in in the project to help the sport to grow. Um, so we have a lot of, of free technique races in the challengers side. I think if we would go back to have uh, free technique in in the future in the pro tour, I think we should have more than one race. But it also affects, you know. Then the, the the teams need to have it's a cost budget thing as well because then the teams need to have uh, double the, the equipment. They need to have uh, both the free technique skis and double pulling skis. They need to test double things. They need to, you know, it costs uh, costs money too to have this uh, twice set up if you understand me. So uh, so that's also part of it. If we would do it, uh, it would also be. You know, as I said, maybe more than one free technique race to, to get that, but that also come back to you know staying hardcore, staying core to uh, hardcore, but also uh, close to the core of the brand because uh, the the specialists in in what we do in classic uh, races, classic technique races, have gone so far that being able to win Vasalop, but you need to focus 100% on that, and we see that there are different athletes that are strong in the lower part of the body you know for for skating that is in the upper body for double pulling so it's very hard to see that someone will will be able to to do both meaning that the proteins will be 
if they would be successful, they would basically uh, hire athletes only for the free technique races because then the, there are different athletes that are strong there. You know, as I mentioned, Gerard, Paris, Colonia is quite all round, but there are these free technique specialists. And um, that's also a new cost if you have double squads in the pro teams. So at the moment, we're not there. In, um, you know, some in the pro cycling world, uh, you know, they have some cyclists are specialized in one day events and some in the grand tours and that would be the case if we do more skating races that you would have some athletes focusing on those and some on the classic races so so it's a lot of different aspects that you need to think about when making the decisions so i think this is a good segue to the the next segment which is about the future because we come to the end of our history history tour because the 10th season this year uh, was the last one in line we talked about that labenostani race uh, 13 races uh, originally three got cancelled and so forth but next let's talk about the future Next season, of course, will be a little bit different because of the, you know, the COVID-19 and the situation in the world. Nobody knows what's going to happen. But when you kind of look back the last season and kind of reflect that upon the next one, what are you expecting, hoping to see or achieve? First of all, we, as we said, the Pro Tour, we have come to, to a phase where we feel it's uh, we have a stable product. The basic product is a stable one. And that's very important for in these uh, uncertain times where we don't know if it's going to come a second wave at the time we are speaking now of the COVID-19 and we don't know the effects it's going to have on the next winter to come. We need to, you know, when we've seen the first 10 seasons been the constant development, you know, number of skiers, pro teams every year by year has been increasing in in many aspects that we, that we calculate. But when we go to the to 11th season, it's uh, with the mindset from my side that I try to bring to the team that we will, of course, uh, be ready for, for season 11 with a, with a great product, uh, working hard as normal. But the mindset is that most probably we will be facing reality where it's a small step backwards, meaning not be able to, to develop at the same pace, but we actually have to accept that maybe this is a season between the development phases uh, we have to be in that case we have to go back and, and deliver a stable product knowing you know back to the core what we can do having events we we trust in believe in and then uh, take a half step backwards in season 11 then we can step to, to take two steps forward for season 12 that's a little bit that mindset we will have when we go into the season not taking away anything of the quality side but also trying to be realistic in where we are and uncertain because it's it's affected the situation we have at the moment. We don't see the end of the financial situation where it affects our partners, our sponsor. We know for Hertz, there's been a long for Yellow Bib. It will not be with us for the next season. They, they're struggling to be with, with us at all, with us as a company and, you know, handing in the bankruptcy papers in, in uh, USA at the time we're speaking. So it's... Uh, it's affecting in, in different ways. So I think we have to be humble and uh, focused, trying to be doing a core product with a good quality, but uh, be, be prepared and for different reasons. Of course, we are. We have learned, as you in, heard in this podcast before, that you know, to, to, uh, to adapt to situations. There are limits what we can do, of course. There, are, there will be and have been situations where we, where we cannot uh, 
find reasonable plan Bs, plan C. We have avalanche situations, red alert in, in Tobla Cortina. We had, you know, this, we had situations where we just, uh, it's not possible to deliver. But, and then for the coming winter, the COVID-19 is one thing, but we, don't, we should never forget about our normal force majeure situations with no snow or, or storms or avalanches. So we just have to be, as always, on, when we get close to the event, ready to adapt to the circumstances. And I think we have already now quite good scenarios what, what we can do in terms of geographically, time-wise, which event possible to move on. And then we see what the right decision is when we get closer. But but the main thing is that, uh, you know, this is a big, much bigger uh, catastrophe. Yeah, I can I use that word when so many people are dying, then, uh, then that sport becomes quite small. So. We, we train and we focus and we for what we're gonna do but uh, but in the big picture you know there are bigger things in life than than ski classics and of course in the grand as you said in the grand scheme of things we have to you know keep that in mind but of course you are constantly thinking thinking about the future and you mentioned the plan b plan c and i believe that a lot of skiers a lot of our fans and even pro teams out there are considering the option that maybe the next season uh, will be much different in terms of uh, the kind of the social distancing because those grand classics and the many of our races tend to have more than 10,000 skiers and that may not be possible next year so have you or are you able to kind of share your thoughts or uh, ideas on how to go through a season if that happens I mean, there's so many different aspects, you know, different countries, different territories, different uh, rules, different et cetera, et cetera. So it, it will take, it will be one more separate podcast and uh, just to go through different scenarios because that's how much time we put on it. We, we, this is our daily job to kind of look at scenarios and options and, and, and within our limits, try to do the best for our athletes and our fans and our TV customers and partners. So... But we are looking at different situations, and uh, but to, to go through all the scenarios, it would take too too long, I think. But um, yeah, we we just have to stay focused, and uh, and uh, there's nothing else to do than to hope for the best. And as you said, that could be a good topic, you know, come September, October, when we're really getting close to the season and if need be, go through different uh, scenarios. But then the long term, this is the next season. We don't really can't really do much about it. It, it comes as it is, you know, it's uh, the situation in the world. But long term, of course, you can uh, gaze upon the stars and, and uh, w- wish, you know, for, for the best. In the long term, two, three, four, five years from now, what do you want this brand, Visma Ski Classics, to be? Maybe we want to be a, a global platform to enhance the sport of cross-country skiing. We want to have the challengers. We want to have the my pages that have been launched. That's something we could speak about later on in the podcast. But all the features we got, we are launching there with find your ranking, connect it to your friends, colleagues. I think everyone listening should go into my pages and sign up the accounts free of charge and you you get a lot of inspiration and motivation to train by having that and comparing yourself to, to your own results as well and gaining on the ladder of your ranking. Uh, but there are so, so many positive things too, Temo. We should not get stuck in, uh, in this negative side because don't forget where we started with Jürgen signing up. You know, there are, uh, I know that there are things more coming out in the nearest days too. We have... Uh, 
an interesting release already tomorrow from um, actually the day before you you listen to this because this is on Thursday but on Friday I know that there's the Finnish team is releasing a new athlete etc so I, so there are also many positive things and um, to be able in in these kind of situ- situations to to get away from the from uh, you know the seriousness and be in the, the, the depression a little bit upon all of us to be able to train motivate get energy that that's very very important to to try to do it in a different way and that's what it's all about it's about health that's what ski classic is all about to to make recreational skiers and also the proteins being role models for people to to become healthier and if um, looking uh, into the future i mean first of all i think yeah like you said it's also you know this uh, situations when you know i think winston churchill said it once but you know it's it's a great opportunity that are around in the in the in in, in the hard times you know this digital meeting formats uh, now we can definitely like take a leap forward and how to make that we don't make our podcasts next to each other like we used to do but we do it digitally and the same with our meetings team captains meeting we will develop the digital format for that for the coming winter uh, there's also opportunities now to to take a development where we also from our case in the future we want to be seen as the uh, it is a little bit double-sided but i i would like ski classics in the future to be the green winter sport where we focus on sustainability we focus on environmental values uh, trying to find partners that uh, that want to cope with us on that uh, you know if we can find electric cars and show that it's possible to to drive that uh, around Europe, long distances, finding a way to to plan your trips differently. That's that's where we want to be a role model and try to you know give our little some things back in um, you know changing the world in a small way. If you understand me, yeah. And then we also have uh, sport-wise dreams and goals and visions. And I think why why should the, the long distance athletes and these uh, heroes that we see not have their own olympic distance that's where i am in my mind i think it's definitely time to to see possibilities and already 2026 we have uh, a world champ or olympics in the winter olympics in uh, northern italy in the region where actually many of our of, uh, our races are involved in the winter olympics livigno valdefiemme with where marcel onga is cortina toblaf of course with cortina being the head center uh, why not uh, have for IOC? Why not having a, a long-distance race, which actually in the Olympics could also be open for amateur skiers, recreational skiers? Imagine that you have two to five thousand recreational skiers, normal people like you and me, being able to be part of the Olympics, showing that the sport movement is for everyone. Uh, that, that that's a vision uh, and a dream from my side. And if if you find FIS now, you see and to to share our dreams and see the positive side in it. It's it's easy practically to do it, and we can help to, to realize it. Because I think from IOC point of view, I had some trouble some years in in the trustability. I think you know showing it's for everyone and, and going back to the roots a little bit more. If it works well with cross country skiing, why not having the same for for running marathons in the Summer Olympics? That actually you can have a limited number of people that you can share tickets around the world from different continents, countries. You can apply to actually be able to some kind of free lottery to be able to be part of an olympics as a normal individual that would be uh, so fantastic for the movement of, of sports 
and that could be in the cycling way too where you have uh, you know why not the cycling in the in the summer olympics being open also to 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 recreational uh, athletes so that's if i if i could dream 2026 i hope uh, the ioc and fes understand the positive side i cannot see anything negative with it to remove one of the existing distances in the winter olympics to include a long distance ski race put it as a first or last day event of the olympics where where you actually can make it a folk fest for normal people and i know marcelonga for example they are in that time frame what why don't putting that they could easily postpone two weeks to to be part of the olympics that would be such a great thing for putting sports back to where it should be as i see it the part of of the health movement and and inspiring normal people as well as the professional athletes. That really is a wonderful, wonderful dream. And I think we can't really top that, David. That's that's a really good way to, to end this great conversation. We covered a lot of lot of space, the history of Visma Ski Classics, the future and everything. So thank you very much for being here and good luck. And let's face the summer and, and hope for the best. I think it's going to be a great, great season come uh, 21. Thank you, Timo. And uh, keep on staying positive, everyone. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.